Welcome back, everybody, to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, March 30th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. O'Malley and I just got back, just returned from Notre Dame following the press conference announcing Micah Shrewsbury as the new basketball coach at Notre Dame. We'll get into that here in a little bit, men's basketball coach, I should say. But, Tim, let's jump uh, first into spring drills. We had an opportunity to speak with L. Golden and three of the linebackers the other day. Um, naturally the, 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 the topic of red zone came up with Al Golden and, um, you know, he, he rightfully points to the fact that they were 10th in the country in red zone penetrations, but it's, uh, it's the end result that didn't work in Nordheim's favor last year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious to see, can you be very curious? I am curious to see how this is going to play out in 2023 because it's nonsensical to me that Al Golden's defense was so bad in the red zone. I don't want to say it's something like how turnovers tend to go back, swing back the other way, because it's probably more complicated than that. But if you're that good everywhere else, and I tracked every single goal to go situation for the entire football season, I had to go back and start doing it once I realized they kept giving up touchdowns, but I tracked every single one and they won so many individual snaps on goal to go, but yet still gave up a touchdown on third or fourth down. I don't know how much of that, is just bad luck great play made poor mental error uh but you know they're gonna be working on it but i really i really think they worked on red zone last year too i I don't think it's like they didn't pay enough attention to red zone i think it's probably more making a play in the red zone and uh they just didn't make enough last year i i never would have guessed that going into the year i never would have guessed that going to the year i I certainly wouldn't have guessed it after august practice when we realized that that Marcus Freeman was taking Al Golden's advice and that was to start practice working on red zone stuff. Yeah. So never would have suspected that. Um, you know, I agree with you, Tim, they did a, a, a lot of really good things defensively, but the red zone stuff overrode everything as did of course, some, you know, some critical touchdown drives allowed, whether it be, you know, once you went ahead in the second half or right. something in the second half when you needed, when you needed, if not a three and out, you needed a punt and they weren't able to do that. So, I, you know, I tend to agree though, Tim, I don't know that I've never thought of the notion of red zone being cyclical. I don't think that it is probably not, but, but I do think, I, I just think there's going to be a correction in that department, especially with, you know, golden in the mindset that they've got to get this uh, corrected. And, and as you say, and I, I wanted you to get into that because I mean, it wasn't like they were giving up touchdowns on first down. No, no, no. They, they were, were walking touchdowns on third and frequently fourth down as well, which means they're doing some good things. I get it. There's a bottom line. You get, you know, there's four downs. You have to stop them. Oh, you have of to, all, of yeah. all places, there's a bottom line. It's down there because there is four downs nowadays too. It's not get them to kick a field goal. Plenty of teams decided we're going for it on fourth and three. Yeah, no, true. So one of the things is then you have to keep them a little bit further away from the actual goal line to prevent them or yep. to encourage them to kick a field goal, depending upon the, the score and situation. But, uh, you know, Tim, he also talked about, uh, we didn't interview Jordan Batello. We anticipate having that opportunity coming up here. But Jordan Batello, uh, with Al Golden talked about Jordan Batello sometimes the way that we do. It's like, it's got to be now. It's now. You have to yeah. put it all together. Yeah, I wrote a story on this. Um, it, he makes a good point. It's like, you, you, you use the phrase, is he knocking on the door? He's like, it's time for him to knock on the door. But the way you do that is play the system, play with poise and execute. And I think everybody that wonders about Jordan Batella would know that. And then he also confirmed what we all believe. He brings the energy. He always brings the fight. He always brings the finish. That's not the issue. And he did mention eliminate mental errors. Everybody says I'd rather have some mental errors for the guy that makes plays and all that. That is, you cannot play defense with a bunch of mental well, errors. You can't it's, stay on the field if you do, if you make mental errors. They're, going, they're going to take you off the field. And there's no reason for a senior year Jordan Batello now finally let's give him some let's give him a little slack now finally entrenched in a position remember he played yeah he was playing nothing as a freshman he was playing special teams and he came in against South Florida he played pseudo rover but did his best work at inside linebacker against Wisconsin in 2021 he started at rover last year but was never really at rover you knew he wasn't going to be covering somebody down the field and he was behind Foskey 
he was as product. He was more productive than any pass rusher in a small dose. When he has 200 pass rush attempts, he's not going to be at 38% success rate again. I wouldn't think if he is, he's an all American and Notre Dame is going to be doing just fine. I think we Jordan Botello has two years left. He can really have a good year. If I was thinking about this, you know how we do our rankings for the players. I'm going to be very tempted to put Patello too high, quote unquote, <laughs> try to give him too much credit. It's almost like it's a desire to see him be that good because we do like watching him. It's it's he's kind of got the old school. Look how angry this young man is while he's on the football field thing. And, and we know he can be effective, but clearly poise and eliminating mental errors go hand in hand. And that would be Patello's next step. We also talked to Prince Collie, um, and, and of course, El Golden commented on him, and he seemed very, very encouraged about what Collie has done so far in the spring. He mentioned about him having to get healthy. I don't know exactly what that is. Do you know what that is, Tim? No, I, but he didn't seem was, like anything when we talked to Collie. Right, yeah, Collie came in, and yeah, so, you know, obviously he's not. Uh, it's probably a winter-lingering yeah. situation. As yeah, it could be. Just, he may not just be, he just may not be 100%, but. Um, you know, and and kind of the flip side here, we're talking about Kali because Golden says he's how low maintenance he is. He wants to get him on the field. And I and yeah. I don't think that yeah. there's I I you know, I mean, I I think that that was the case all through last year. Prince Kali's a smart kid. Uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to put himself physically, he's he has what he needs, certainly. There's no reason why he can't put himself in a position, at least for a timeshare. And then that way, by the time you get to November, your inside your linebackers haven't had you know 550 snaps and are right. on fumes for the balance of the season. Yeah, we're pretty outspoken, or I've been at least. I don't want to put words in your mouth that I think Leah is a better player with 200 fewer snaps if he's at the 400 snap range instead of 650. Um, I would if Prince Kali either has to do that this year, or it's, or it's definitely not happening. He's a he's a true junior that doesn't have yeah. the benefit of COVID. That that has to be now. Um, I do know there are mental errors in the mid season that they were trying to get him in. And when you, when you don't know everything you're supposed to do and you hesitate, you're nowhere near as fast as you need to be. So I'm surprised by that. Other than Prince Kali told us himself in August, his whole first year was just trying to learn how to play defensive football. Cause his system in high school was see ball, get ball. A lot of guys are in that position. Jalen Sneed said he was in that position. Um, Maris Leofau said, I asked him specifically of Kali and Leofau is very guarded when he talks about other players not the greatest guy to ask about other players, but he did say, I don't know if it was specific to Kali. You asked him about learning the plays. He said, you, you have to review all of the film of practice multiple times to understand what you did wrong, what they want you to do. Right. It should become second nature. It's not the same as knowing it on the, on the chalkboard or whatever. The, it's not a chalkboard anymore on the, it's a whiteboard the, now, the whiteboard now. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, and I know, you know, Leofau has has detractors, certainly, and he did play too many sn snaps last year. That's as much a reflection on Collie as anybody else, so he has to be up to speed a little mm -hmm. bit better. No, Leofau is not, he is a man of a few words. He did, he, I asked him what he felt like he needed to improve this spring, and he said, pass rush, and so I followed up by asking him, you know, if you don't have the if you don't have the gap to run through, are you encouraged to just hammer the line of scrimmage and kind of throw up a roadblock? And he, you know, he basically said, yeah, you're still probing to find that gap to work your way through. But if you've been dialed up to, to blitz and it's not coming off the edge, it's more, you know, between the, the two offensive tackles, you don't really have much choice other than to try to, you know, blow up the operation when you do that, but he needs to be better than, than that. And he knows, but I, you know, I agree. I mean, I think Kyle, you've got to find a way to get Kali on the field, but it's up to Kali. He needs to be, he needs to be up to speed with everything they're doing. And I, I think the most telling thing Al Golden referenced was this being his second spring. And I kind of asked him, this is, if you guys think about it, listening, the linebackers and the defense, the linebackers especially have had, Linebacker coach, defensive coordinator, Al Golden. Linebacker coach, defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman. Linebacker coach, defensive coordinator, Clark Lee. This is their first time with the same guy coming back. Um, Golden kind of took that in another direction and said the first priority for him this offseason was don't just pick a bunch of plays you're going to run in the spring. Know your opponents. See what you need to run. He said we probably practiced some things last spring we didn't need to, and as the season evolved, we needed X, Y, Z. 
Now we're practicing X, Y, Z, got rid of the other things. It makes so much sense because El Golden basically arrived two weeks ago at this point last year. And that is an incredible crash course on Notre Dame's weird schedule and everything you have to prepare for. And there was probably too much in there. And it seems like they're kind of self-editing that. And it's a, it's a heavy repeat schedule. Clemson, Ohio State, Navy, USC, Stanford. I'm sure I'm missing someone. I mean, it's, you know, the Pitt Wake Forest film has been available for a long time, obviously, for, for Notre Dame. So it's a pretty heavy repeat schedule. And I think you might see that and the familiarity come through. Yeah, that's huge. And you're the one that brought up to him. And I, I thought that was a great point that just, you know, for, for the players to, to, to really be able to hit the ground running with terminology and just approach by the coordinator. I thought his comment about preparing for opponents, as opposed to what you just said, preparing for opponents as, as opposed to just running stuff in the spring really makes a lot of sense. Uh, the repeat opponents certainly help that. I just think, again, I don't think red zone cyclical, but I cannot, I just can't fathom them uh, being as anywhere close to as poor as they were in the red zone last year. Now you've got to, you got to hope they're uh, like top 40 though. Not, not just middle 40. No, I agree. They were, they were bottom end. <laughs> they were they the should, end. <laughs> right. They should be in the upper one third of college football yeah. Yeah. in red zone. When you're, when you're that good, keeping them out of the red zone, <laughs> 10th and tied for 10th in the country, then you should be good in the res. I realize it's a little bit different down there and it's more, you know, as he pointed out, it's more of a lateral game than it is a vertical game because you run into the back of the end zone offensively. So you're somewhat limited because of that, but they need to be better. And I feel pretty confident as it sounds like you do that, that, that will happen. Let's jump into Micah Shrewsbury here real quickly. Uh, I'm not a, a, a big fan of reading too much into introductory press conferences. You're supposed to win those. I will tell you that he won it and you're supposed to win it. No, he did. He did win it. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. I don't know that he, I don't think he won it in the same manner that Marcus Freeman did, but they're different personalities. Shrewsbury's a little bit more low key. Um, he was pretty funny. I thought he was pretty funny. Yeah, People no, get a I chance thought, to watch I, yeah. it. He was pretty good delivery on. Some yeah, stuff. I thought he was great. I thought he was great. I my first impression is, having done this for many many years, you know, here's an here's another guy that you have to develop a a business relationship when you're in the media, and I think he strikes me as a guy that's going to going to be pretty easy to do that with. Hey, I thought his he had a pretty funny comment. He said, I don't have any hobbies. I have my family in basketball. People say, you know, basketball is not what you are. It's what you do. He's like, no, that's pretty much what I am. I'm a family man and I love hoops and that's it. Right. So he was self-deprecating that way. He said, you know, I'm a defensive guy first. Remember, I told you no matter who they hire, he's going to have to be a defensive guy first because it's the opposite. Every time you hire a coach, you got to go well, the opposite way. Yeah, I don't and know that Penn State's numbers reflected no, that. No, well, he said, I'm he, a defensive guy first. It just didn't always show up this year. But yes. trust me, I did care. <laughs> so yeah. I think, you know, I, I yeah, that's what I meant by he kind of won the press conference. He He's, he's going to be another likable coach. And as long as he's in the NCAA tournament in two years, they're going to keep liking him. I know everybody makes fun of, like, you know, no defense in the NBA. But I have to believe that his background in the NBA, you have to be you've got to try to be more creative in the NBA because of the level of athlete that you're going against. And with Brad Stevens, I mean, Butler was fantastic yes. defensively during yeah. that run. So it's, yeah. So that's really encouraging. Uh, I have another, I have a statistic to throw out, but I'm going to save it for segment two to tie in with, with a question that is asked and it's not a, uh, it's not a great, <laughs> it's not a great stat uh, based upon last year in addition to the defense, but I did ask about, you know, roster, uh, yeah. ro roster management or creating a roster, I should say, because he, he, he inherits, I guess a lot of basketball schools now are, are inheriting these fragmented, yeah, fragmented rosters. And, and he certainly has, and he didn't get specific. I didn't expect him to, he did reveal that that uh, Braden Shrewsbury's son will be on the roster. And yeah, he I think it, also... you'd just be kind of hiding stuff at this point if you didn't admit to that, right? That's a... <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I wrote about this uh, in Thursday Thoughts today that I underestimated, not, not surprisingly, I underestimated, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to create a roster again, but he is going to, it does sound like he will bring in the three recruits that he signed at Penn State, including Kerry Booth, 
who's a top 75 player on 24-7 sports list. I like Logan Imes' game, the kid out of Zionsville, Indiana, who I think is is a lot like Cormac Ryan. I think he kind of looks like him a little bit, but he, he's kind of he's built like him. And he, you know, he can he can shoot off, he can catch it and shoot, he can shoot off the dribble. Uh, and I think he's an excellent shooter. And then Braden Shrewsbury brings brings that as well. The key is Keba Jai, the 6'10 freshman at Penn State this past season, who is from the Lalamere School, which is where JJ Starling came from. He's 6'10", about 240, a, a, a type of athlete that, again, Nordame doesn't get a whole lot of. My point being, if you get Keba Jai and you maintain Van Ellen Lubin and you bring in Kerry Booth, you yeah. are now bringing in frontline talent that Notre Dame rarely was able to accumulate under Mike Bray, certainly in recent years. And as you know, a 6'10 talented athlete is the most important thing towards rebuilding this roster and competing at the top level of the sport. And the top line, I don't mean that, you know, not every year is going to have a nine seed getting into the final four, but there is more parity now. I've, I've come, man, reading the message board, they were spot on saying how much closer a basketball program can be making a run to the final four than ever before and much higher than a, than a football team can be winning a playoff game. Um, you got to get that 6'10 athlete in, though. He did say one thing that I'm sure longtime Notre Dame basketball fans will like and then think, oh, that sounds familiar. He talked about the guys you want to have, and he said, I like skill guys. We all like skill guys, right? But you can't have all skill guys because when he said they got to be able to dribble, shoot, pass, and think. Notre Dame recruited a lot of guys that can dribble, shoot, pass, and think over the last 21 years. It. You need some, yep. Yeah, you need some athletes. You need some rebounders. Yeah. And I don't want to go go long on this, but if you noticed in this, this is not my thought. I heard it on the internet. Excuse me, I heard it on the radio. Brute force and athleticism has beaten skill in the NCAA tournament this year almost every time. It might be how it's officiated. It might be the ball that bounces too high. They keep talking about, but brute skill is beating um, talent and well, and basketball acumen. It's not great to see, but it it may true. be it may be trending. Yeah. Maybe college basketball is trending that way. I do like, you know, he talked about winning national championships. He thinks they can win. He says they, he thinks they can win a national title at Notre Dame. You like to hear that. I love the fact that. I mean, I mean he, FAU could win a national title this year and so could San yeah, Diego no State. So. No, yeah, no kidding. I, you know, I mean, he is an Indiana. He's an Indiana native through and through. He is all about Indiana. His family's all about the state of Indiana being from Indiana. You don't hear that very often from, from a lot of people on the outside, but he's an Indiana guy. And so my, my point being Nordame's a destination for him. He signed yeah. a seven-year contract. Let's hope he's successful so he can fulfill that seven-year contract and add to it. Let me ask Tim, you ever think Nordame was hiring a coach that was at IUSB prior? No, no, I didn't. But everybody has a stepping stone, that's, and that's crazy I, though that it was down the street. And then, it, no, it is it, it it is very crazy. He was 29 years old actually. He said oh. when he when he signed, and then turned 30 shortly thereafter, and said he didn't really know what he was doing. And here he is now uh, at his second football school. I asked him about that. He's a big Nordane fan. Maybe the biggest one of all the coaches that's been his yeah, life I mean, growing up. Yeah, I think so. Uh, certainly more than Brian Kelly, uh, even though Brian <laughs> Kelly was, said he was. I lobbed that up for you there, Tim. Yeah, you know, even but. though yeah, Brian <laughs> Kelly always so, uh, talked about what a big Notre Dame fan he was, and then you asked for favorite players and you couldn't think of one single guy. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, made a good, strong first impression. Tim, real quickly, Notre Dame, to finish up this segment, Notre Dame received a verbal commitment from Roswell, Georgia, which an area that you're familiar yeah. with, from uh, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, Anthony Knapp. He plays tackle at his high school, but he clearly projects as an interior offensive lineman. I would even speculate to say that uh, center might be his best position. Your thoughts on his game? Oh, yeah, that will be uh, – that's something that's going to have to be hashed out. We know or we believe they really like Ashton Craig at center. Yes. Got one year on him. Uh, Coogan is playing center right now ahead of Craig. That is also partly probably for uh, building depth and uh, being able to run three teams out there in the spring. And he's obviously experienced at it. Yeah, Nap. I, I said guard. You say center. That's intriguing to me. Um, having a 
a very physical, edgy center. Um, I mean, I, I think we would have said Zeke Carell was a, was a physical center coming in too. Yes. So I could see going in that path again. Um, I know you mentioned that uh, he more than finishes blocks and that he almost, he not almost, he over, over exaggerates the one block he's on when you've seen recently a lot of guys on film. Why don't they just get the block and move on to the next guy? That's definitely something I agree with that he has to learn. There's just, it, it is a highlight reel for, unfortunately now for offensive linemen how badly you can destroy the one person you're already 20 times better than as opposed to getting that block and moving on to the next level. And I'm interested to see how many guys we see that are top tier line recruits and not only the guys that come to Notre Dame, but all the ones you review that actually do leave their block and move on to the next guy. I think that's almost the new way of looking at it is how many guys do that. Wouldn't you say more guys don't than do not to this extent, but I'm saying how don't you think there's there's the highlight real thing in, in huddle and all the film we see where you're just trying to destroy the guy you're you're so much better than I don't I that's a good question Tim and yeah. I, I I think if I my initial or my yeah my initial reaction to that would be that I think that was the case more in the past than it is now I see okay. more guys going to the second level I'm not looking for that. work as they call it you're looking yeah, for more exactly. work yeah I, I, I mean everybody knows how I feel about some of the extracurricular stuff. So I'm not going to get into that. Um, you can read my film review about that, but you know, I think what I, what, what leads me to think center even more than guard. And certainly it leads me to think guard more than tackle, which is what he plays in high school is I just, I don't think laterally, I think he's a straight ahead type of blocker. Yeah. It's yeah. not a, a lateral guy per se. Uh, and so I think that, I think the center position fits him well. I think there are times where he tries to win a wrestling match and uh, with his upper body, as opposed to moving his, his feet and driving through. Probably because he can off. probably because he can, he, too. because yeah. he can, but every offensive college offensive line coach in the country is going to run drills where it's about bringing your feet, bringing your feet, keep pushing. He's strong. He's tenacious. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no denying that he loves the physicality of the game. Uh, but I think that he needs to get to the next level and throw a block more often than falling on top of somebody. And, you know, the whole, the whole pancake thing, I, I, it's, it's just overrated. It's block your man, stay on your man. If you need to, if you've discarded him because he's a hundred pounds less, go find somebody else to hit. It just, it's, it's playing with 11 guys as opposed to 10 here and one guy on his own agenda. And when we say he's not a tackle, that's no longer really a cut down. You just talked to Zach Martin, Mike McGlinchey, and I just talked to Christian Lombard. He's like, hey, man, we were all tackles at one point. <laughs> they get yeah. you here and they find yeah. out you can't all be tackles. And really, just as recently as nine years ago, remember Quentin Nelson was not the Quentin Nelson camp, at least was not happy. Alex Bars was kind of projected as a tackle while Nelson was projected as a guard. Well, they both ended up at guard. Nelson ended up as a legendary guard for Notre Dame. Bars ended up as a pro. I think you're losing the, because the way football has changed, that you have to be a left tackle to make money. And so now at least the 18-year-old's dad that thinks he has to be left tackle to make money can just see the best possible position to go play in the NFL. 15 years ago, it was you have to be a left tackle to make money. Yeah, that's true. And I when I watched Quentin Nelson in high school, and then we're going to wrap up this segment, I didn't necessarily think automatically think guard. I saw Alex Bars in Soldier Field for the old rivals camp when we were affiliated with them. And in three seconds, I said, he's an offensive guard. I said it to his dad, who I covered when he yeah. played Notre Dame in the 80s. And he didn't like the fact that I said he nope. was a guard. Ten years later, I think you can be liking the fact that you're a guard nowadays. I, I would agree. And he was a guard, not a tackle, and still is and yep. will always be. Coming back, segment two, burning up the boards. Segment two, burning up the boards, our first question comes from A. Callen 1. I know Micah Shrewsbury's last team was as fond of the three-pointer as any Bray squad. Did they differ by at least considering the possibility of rebounding long misses, or is that as impossible as going eight deep in the rotation and time has simply passed my elder millennial sensibilities by? Well, uh, A lot to digest there, actually. There is a lot, and I, and I do think that uh, Shrewsbury's background, what, I mean, looking at the numbers of Penn State, He's certainly open to playing more, more guys, uh, including freshmen, including a the freshman that I brought up, Keba Jai, 
who uh, was from Lalamere, who uh, would look really good in a Notre Dame uniform. But to answer the question, I, I, I you look at the numbers, and it's not uh, it's not real positive in comparison to Notre Dame because, frankly, Penn State was second to last out of 352 teams in average offensive rebounds per game. They were behind Notre Dame in that regard. So that's a bit concerning. But again, the NBA background, I can't believe that rebounding and defense are going to be overlooked by this guy with a strong Boston Celtics, Brad Stevens background. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't think so either. Um, the fond of the three-pointer thing, though, is that that's pretty much situation for most <laughs> of basketball. Now, it's, it's hard to tell someone. They shoot too well, many three-pointers. They shot, extre- they shot extremely well this year, Penn State. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you could say that Bray's final teams shot too many three-pointers because they didn't shoot as well as the other teams did. This one doesn't count because they didn't have an inside presence either. But I, I, it was just weird when all of a sudden Notre Dame stopped being a great three-point shooting team. So it's kind of – that's neither here nor there for this. I would think that uh, Shrewsbury's uh, rebounding in defense as he develops Notre Dame will be a, a – Great improvement over Notre Dame's in the past. Part of his recruiting better athletes, man. I mean, let's be fair. Mike Bright didn't want to say it all the time, but when he doesn't, ha- when you don't have good enough athletes, and you're playing Syracuse in North Carolina, who gets six ten dudes left and right falling out of bed every time they want somebody. They have those guys at, at North Carolina. It's hard to compete on the backboard against them. Shrewsbury's going to have to compete in recruiting to compete on the backboard against those guys. Uh, and something has to improve in strength and conditioning because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I. I Notre Dame is one of the weakest looking basketball teams on the floor every night out. Are they not? Yeah, no, it's been other than <laughs> other than when they made the run, but still they they were still almost like if, if you look at Kentucky's freshmen and Notre Dame's juniors and seniors, it was still a wash. But part of that is getting the guy that's NBA ready when he's 18. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The the Kebajai that I'm talking about yeah. and the Van, Van Ellen Lubin certainly. <laughs> Uh, fits the role, uh, they're, but they're they're going to have to be better than. Hey, look, he is he's in he's here for the long haul. We're going to, I would imagine, we're going to see a full complement on the roster, which we hadn't seen before. And if you look at Penn State's numbers, he's more than willing to use multiple guys off the bench. That creates a good situation within the team. This is a this is the start of a a, a long haul with Micah Shrewsbury, and. Um, you know, it, a fresh start was so badly needed and probably two years ago, but it's here now and we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting to see the makeup of their roster, which we will. As Especially we in two be, years, the makeup this year is on the fly. Yeah, He's this is to going to be, it's, it's yeah. going to be somewhat patchwork here. Uh, unless you bring the three recruits from Penn State and you bring a Kebajai and you bring, you keep a, a Vin Allen Lubin and really all the guys that were left on the roster. And then you go out and, and let's see what they can do in the transfer and grad yep. transfer portal. Question from Thunder 2002. How good will Nordame's receiver room actually be? Let me rephrase that. How good is Nordame's receiver room? Actually, <laughs> I'm having a tough time. Here. I'm with you. We're, we're with all, you though. We got you. Yeah, I, I know we were all super excited about the room this year, but how much of that is because we are comparing it to last year's nightmare? It's I'm not comparing. The, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it is a fair question. I, I did compare it to last year's nightmare right away because that's the question we keep getting asked is how much better. What's the best, most improved unit? That's 1B behind quarterback. Um, I don't know the ceiling of this year's room is incredibly high. The floor is much lower. I think Jaden Thomas has a low floor. I think Deion Colsey, I don't think he's going to explode, but Deion Colsey started making plays for Notre Dame on October 31st last year, or 30th, whatever that was, in Syracuse. He's gonna, He should be doing it for 13 games this year, 12, 13 games. He's, instead of eight first downs, he should be 20 first downs. Right? That That's what you're looking at. Tyree or Styles, they should get something out of that. I still put styles in the slot, even though I haven't seen him in the slot one time since 2021. I'm going to keep moving them there until they do it for me. If he could get something out of those guys, Caleb Smith is a low floor guy, I believe, too. Don't think there's a huge ceiling there. I think the highest ceiling, and I, I think you might disagree with me for this year, because it sounded like you did in the last podcast, is still Tobias Merriweather for this year. 
I I just don't have enough body of work to right. work off of is yeah. why I hesitate to do that. I certainly I love your comment about low low floor or high floor. Yeah. I think that's yeah. I high think floor. that that is very true. It that's more true than the ceiling being way way higher because you're still dealing with a Dion Colsey that has to prove himself, Tobias Merriweather that has to prove himself. Uh, you know as our first glimpse of great house James and Flores is really, really impressive. I feel like I have to stem the tide here because already it's, are these guys going to emerge and play? You need Colsey to continue to develop. Yeah. He's the one that got started last year. You need Merriweather to continue to develop. I just don't expect Lorenzo styles to do what he did last year. I think he's going to have a bounce back year. Well, I think he will not play again and be a four game. Uh, this is mean, but if he, if he does that, he's going to play four games and transfer. Right. No, uh, that's that, the world we live in. That's oh, and they would be telling him to. Yeah, no, that's that's the case. I I agree with you about Jaden Thomas. I, I think that he is just really starting to take off. I want to see more of Caleb Smith. I didn't th I didn't think I saw a real expo explosive player in the two practices, but the but the. It was such a snapshot. It's unfair to judge any further. But I think your comment about a higher, uh, a higher floor is yeah. where they are the most improved. Next question, Denver Maximus. There's so much hype about Hartman, the improved receiver room, and the possibility of a more dynamic offense. How much better will the run game be with defenses having to respect the pass? Could Notre Dame have two thousand yard rushers? And he offers an estimated nine twenty and digs at eight twenty one. And I will add that Diggs had a two games off basically totally missing one and estimate was kind of benched for a game with the fumble situation boy to have 2000 rushers you you have to have an offense like north carolina had been putting out on the field it's that's really really top end and i you know i mean they're going to throw the ball quite a bit more with sam hartman so i don't know about the statistics um and i don't you know the 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 improved certainly the improved receiver room is tied to the fact you have Sam Hartman. I, you oh, know, I yeah. think like in the yes, back of is. our in the back of our mind, we know that, and thus that raises the level of how we view the the wide receivers. But uh, I, if this is not the highest scoring Notre Dame offense since Brian Kelly got here, I I think it'll be a, a significant disappointment now. Average points per game is skewed, we know, because of the New right. Mexico's and the Bowling Greens and this year, Tennessee State and maybe Central Michigan. It's what you do against Ohio State, Ohio State and Clemson yeah, yeah, and yeah. Pittsburgh's defense and uh, or, or or Pittsburgh. And and, um, you know, it's it's those kind of teams where it really matters if you're averaging. 28 to 30 points a game against those guys. Well, then now you're, you know, now you're going to be close to 40 points per game. But I, that's one of my predictions. I think it's 36.2 points in 2019. It should exceed that this year. Yeah, it was going to be 40 in 2017 and I was going to be a genius. And then they flew down to Miami and didn't do a single thing for 40 minutes. Yeah. And it's been ruined forever. All right. So this is going to be a uh, Monday musing summer prediction, but it's, I don't know about the thousand yards a piece, but estimate will be over six yards a carry. And Logan Diggs will approach six yards a carry as well. From 5.9 and zero and 5.0 last year. I again because of what I think they're going to do pushing the football down the field with the passing game, it's set up for that. It's tailor-made for that. It should be that level of productivity. It it it, it remains tied to the guard play, but Christophic is is certainly a, a front runner with some playing experience. And then whoever develops at the other spot, which I'm still predicting will be Billy Shroff, but we'll see more as we, we get through the spring. Question from Brian739. The quote Pitt Brothers article, referring to what you wrote the other day, Tim, reminded me of a report you did when Michael Mayer and Kevin Bauman were both freshmen. I recall you quoting the staff that if it weren't for the fact that Mayer was here, Bauman would could be something really special. Am I misremembering? If not, do you think Bauman still has a significant upside with his three years of eligibility or have injuries reduced his ceiling? I remember this. The staff really liked 
Kevin Bauman and and Kevin Sinclair and Tom Loy were telling us how much the staff liked Bauman. I think, I mean, I think injuries inevitably have hurt his production or not his production, excuse me, his, I guess his upside because he missed all of 2021. Basically he missed almost all of 2022. You got good players below you, but I think people writing off Kevin Bauman for this year is a bad idea. Bauman is a good overall tight end. Don't know if he'll ever be tight end one at Notre Dame, but I, I really think he'll be in the mix. I could see him someday transferring with, with years of eligibility because there's so many good players and that's just the way it goes now. But, uh, I would expect Bauman to contribute. He was really off to a good start last year before he got hurt. I mean, he made a couple of very nice plays. And But the thing is, I don't know if he would have beaten out Mitchell Evans. Remember when Evans got hurt, we kind of pre- we projected Evans to be the starter over Bauman. So, boy, they can all play. If you get hurt, you're, you're a backup for a little while with all these guys. I think he plays if he's healthy. I think he plays a significant role, but not as a pass catcher. I think he takes away many of the snaps that Davis Sherwood was getting last year as yeah, a, that's as a, a good blocking call. tight end. Because when you have Evans holding stays and a healthy Eli Raritan, those are the guys that you're throwing the football to right? in terms of the tight end play. Bauman is way down the list now as a candidate, especially with the injuries piling up. But blocker, 12 personnel, sometimes yeah. 13 personnel. Not sure how much they're going to use that with Sam Hartman. But, um, yeah, Bauman's still an integral part of this this program. It's just – I don't see him catching 10 passes. There's too many guys to, there are just too many. There's to too many around to. other choices to your point on Sherwood 13 games, 79 snaps, Bauman, three games, 77 snaps, okay, two snaps less than 10 fewer games. That, and he, that's a lot more snaps than other guys were getting. That is yeah. until Mitchell Evans took over. No, he, he's valuable, but everybody has a role and his role as a pass catcher. Yeah. Uh, they can't all be special. They can all just be good at college and helping you win games too. Yep. yep. Irish McCarthy, I know it's early, but do you foresee Jared Parker using a Buckner package on a regular basis? It could be effective in the red zone. I don't know. I uh, On a regular basis, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I went and looked at Wake Forest red zone numbers from the last three years with Sam Hartman as the quarterback. Uh, last year, they or, excuse me, in 2020, they were 19th in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. And it slipped a little bit, but when you're talking about they were 32nd in 2021 and 38th in 2022, really percentage-wise, there isn't a huge gap uh, from those rankings. So they were, you know, the upper one-third uh, of red zone touchdown percentage, and that's with the Wake Forest offensive line, not the Notre Dame offensive line. So insert Sam Hartman in there in answer to the question. I, you know, I mean, the question was. Uh, Buckner package on a regular basis, I have a hard time envisioning that unless they struggle getting the football in the end zone from the red zone. Yeah, I'd just be surprised if they would struggle in the red zone with Hartman. I agree. No, I agree. The runner is the O-line, so that's the only reason not to. Um, remember the book. A, Tim, I don't have a problem with I don't know how you do it. I don't know. You got to somehow know, keep it, Buckner engaged. I guess yeah, it would be great you if you to. could do that. It, it would be great if you could do that. And I guess the place to do it would be the red zone, but that's, I don't know. I wouldn't mind having Sam Hartman making my decisions in the red zone instead. That's true. That's true. He's less likely to throw. There's no up. Mitchell Palooza package anymore. Cause Buckner can come in and do that. If you don't want to get Hartman hit all the time. That's true. He's yeah, a strong, he's true. a strong quarterback. Tyler Buckner. He definitely is. And that's why, you know, I mean, I get the question because he is an asset. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and you want to keep him engaged and you want him there and you want him, you know, to hit the ground running as best possible in 2024. I just hope that, that Tyler Buckner is, uh, approaches this with a, with a calm mind. I think that's his makeup anyway. Mm-hmm. You can certainly understand any frustration on his part, having to go from starter at the beginning of 2022 to back up in 2023, but I don't see a package on a regular basis. Do you, Tim? I don't No, I, I think Hartman's too good for that. I think, I think the Notre Dame offense is too good to need that. I, you would think so. You would yeah. think so. And that's why I went to look at Wake Forest numbers in the red zone and they're, they're, they're solid to, to very good. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what happens there, but you, you've got to keep Buckner engaged. And if that means occasionally 
I don't know how you do it, Tim. I don't. It's it's always tricky with a quarterback that you'd like yeah. to get, but you're you know you're not going to do it at the expense of Sam Hartman. Yeah, they're expensive. Your program or in your offense and your team. I don't. I just don't think that's what the way it works. But hey, Buckner, uh, Buckner can help you run the football. You can find a way. Uh, the red zone is not where I think you need to bring in Buckner, and, and I don't want Buckner throwing in the red zone instead of Sam Hartman. Exactly. Exactly. What could, why, what could possibly happen? <laughs> so I keep thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> what you act, you act like, you know, somebody could re- return an interception for a hundred yes. yards. Or so. Next question, pin and pull. It appears Chris Tyree will now likely play both slot and running back. Does this versatility change how teams defend Notre Dame? How do you see Jared Parker using Tyree to dictate defensive personnel and create matchups? It's a, it's a good question. I don't, I mean, I, I guess the other day when we saw Tyree running with the receivers, I just assumed he was with the receivers. And then we asked Freeman about it. And I mean, he didn't, he didn't hint that he was still a running back in any way. Certainly you can do some certain things with him aligned as a running back. And I don't know. I mean, when you look at the receiving core, I, I don't, I don't look at, at Chris Tyree as great of an option in the in the passing game or the running game, as a lot of Notre Dame fans do, I I'm kind of with you. Um, if Kadarian <laughs> Price is not all the way back, then Chris Tyree is a more valuable number three running back than a guy that's not all the way back. So that would change my opinion of how many touches he gets. And then I think he would play both. If Price is healthy, Tyree I think gets running plays on Jets. Stuff that you used to get, you would you would always picture Lorenzo Styles getting when he was a freshman and getting a jet sweep against Oklahoma State. I think Tyree could be valuable on that if he if he really knows how to run it. And I he would be better at it than most wide receivers because he certainly has that one cut ability. Um I am still thinking if Lorenzo Styles makes an impact in Notre Dame, it's at slot receiver. So it would be in my made up world, it would be Tyree versus Styles as a slot receiver there. And remember they use Jaden Thomas there a lot for certain packages, and I think they'll keep doing that. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is out if someone really is I don't I don't see Chris Tyree changing how teams defend Notre Dame. Let's see Sam Hartman changing how teams defend Notre Dame. Um, but I hope Tyree sticks too as a good teammate that can definitely help you. I just don't think he has more than one big play a not, I shouldn't say big play, one more than one like first down a game. How's that? One one first down per game. That what you're predicting that's what he would give. Yeah, them no, up. I'm just trying to envision how he ends up with something more than 15 first downs on the season I don't, or something yeah, along I don't, those lines. I, I don't I agree. I don't I don't see it. And I there's okay. only so many plays to go around, first of all. Exactly. Who's not getting the ball? <laughs> this I, is... I just I think the perception of Chris Tyree is based upon basically four plays. Yeah, the and, kick and I don't think he's theoretic is what people are trying to force feed here. No, the, the, the kick return against Wisconsin, the long touchdown run as a freshman against BC, the swing pass to uh, against Toledo that, that was huge. Nice. Yeah. Game winning, well, the, almost a game winning score. And then Oklahoma State, when any athlete would have caught that, it was such a beautiful play design and Great call by Tommy Reese, and any athlete would have scored on that. Or a couple times last year when he burst through a massive hole that every running back would have gotten through. I, I don't, other than a handful of plays, I haven't seen him. You'd like to see a 12-yard run say, wow, that was really right. That was really explosive, or something along those lines. I outside of a handful of plays, I haven't seen that from Chris Tyree. Yeah, I mean, like, there's he had a similar freshman year FSU long touchdown run, but once again, it was a it was a gaping hole, and he burst through it and he used his speed. I I'm not, I don't really don't want to sit here and bash Chris Tyree. I think he's a helpful yeah, teammate, but I don't like, like theoretic was like the straw that stirred the drink for that offense, and I don't I don't see that in this situation. I don't either, and I think as it relates to well, first and they of have all, a, way more good players than the 2012 team yeah, had where theoretic had to do that. We don't have any evidence of Styles playing in the slot yet. No, I just keep saying it. Right. No, and I get it. I just think that with the way that we think this wide receiver core is developing, I think there are better options than Chris Tyree at, at in the slot. Jaden Thomas, for one, 
I like that big body in that in that position. They seem to know how to utilize that. I, you know, I hope I'm wrong, and they can. Jared Parker can come up with ways to create plays for Chris Tyree. Yeah, because he is a touchdown when he gets a step, so that would be a great guy to create plays for if it, if he can work that out. It is a touchdown if he gets a step yeah. six previous times. Maybe that's the only time he got the steps. <laughs> He's not getting caught. Chris Terry, when he gets a full step, isn't getting caught. As you say, I, I, I will, I will go with that. I am saying Chris Terry does not get caught when he gets a step on someone. He has really good acceleration. I think it's hard for him to get into that open area to get a step. I think he has really good acceleration. Yeah. I don't think he has normally. 95%. I don't think he has great acceleration. We, I, you know, again, those, the, the exceptions are out there. They're, they're captured on film yeah. forever, which makes me look and sound wrong. And I get that. I just don't, I don't know that. I don't know that he's going to add anything that they don't have amongst the other wide receivers. Yeah, that's a good point. Question for Judge, I got Judge Arthur Vandalay. Every offseason, fans or message board coaches in the in uh, Arthur Vandalay's uh, term seem to forget about redshirt freshmen in favor of upcoming true freshmen. Uh, which redshirt freshman do you see contributing the most in 2023? For purposes of the question, part-time 2022 contributors like Sneed, Tui Alamaka. Mickey and Stays do not count. And actually only Sneed preserve a year of eligibility uh, amongst that group. So I think there's some guys here, Tim. Um, right. But Well, I mean, I, this guy might not count either because everybody agrees. But if Jadarian Price is healthy, Jadarian Price is my pick here. No doubt. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any doubt about it. If, if he's healthy, he's the number three running back. You've already mentioned Shroff would be the guy not to forget about, but I don't think people forget about Shroth either. So you might want to dig deeper on this one. Those are two guys that I don't think our message board has come close to forgetting yet. Jadarian Price and Billy Shroth. Yeah. I, you know, a healthy Eli Raritan's in the mix because he's such a, such a good target at tight end. The other guys maybe aren't quite as obvious and I would throw pants Tucker in there. He's not a red shirt freshman. He's a red shirt sophomore. Um, but he's but a he guy that could sure. that could do some stuff for them at corner. You know, Josh Burnham, somebody along those lines. I don't know that Aiden Gobira is going to be ready for that. I don't right. I really don't think that he is. I don't know if I'm saying Nolan Ziegler Ziegler because he <laughs> because we spoke to him the other day, and does that mean that he's kind of been elevated? But I do know that they like some of the things that he's showing still being a freshman in the program. Um, not sure how he gets on the field, especially who's, who's, who's he behind. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's not, Bertrand? It might be it's tough. Not, yeah. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's gotta be Tyson Ford. That's I, who, that's who it has to be like in terms of helping Notre Dame's football team. Well, or Jason Anye. I, I you know, I know oh, Ford, yeah. Ford has a higher profile. Anya's a year older. I, I I think both of them are really, really intriguing right now. I Those are two guys we're not going to have the luxury of being able to watch full practices where you can st study somebody for an extended period of time. But I've been really interested to hear upon the conclusion a fair and accurate analysis of Anya and Ford because yeah. I, I, those two guys are are – up and comers that they, I, I would, you would really like to see them show some progress and development and contributions this year. Yeah. You know, um, I was mildly concerned cause I was going to ask about Ford, um, but uh, someone else did to, to golden. He did say he's got to learn pad level and all that stuff, which means it's an issue early in camp. Talk about how big yeah. he is. I was kind of yeah. hoping to hear him say, yeah, he's really improved his pad level and he's really improved as a technician because I think he's a big athlete. So he has all spring and all summer to improve that. I think Tyson Ford or Anya, somebody has a chance to help Notre Dame with 15 super important snaps each game. Yeah, because as we were, have been talking, <laughs> this is now we, we talked extensively to Marcus Freeman and extensively to, to Al Golden. And in both instances, they named a lot of defensive linemen and they did not name Aiden Kiana Aina. 
which surprises you and me, but it may be to the point where we have to come to the, uh, to the realization that, you know, maybe he just is not in their plans. Yeah. Um, I came to that realization while listening to Al Golden, not mention him after Marcus Freeman didn't, because we talked about it after Freeman's press conference, it's head coach can't mention every defensive lineman when he's running down the list. Although he did mention every other defensive lineman, Al Golden, not his job to mention every defensive lineman, but then he mentioned every other defensive lineman as well. So when I talked to Al Washington in a couple of weeks, I'm going to ask about AK 92 because he is a Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, I believe as well. I think also Kevin Sinclair favorite, but we did hear way back when this is why this has always been on the message board that he was not involved. He's not in the mix for the next year. That doesn't make any sense to me. My theory is they told me he wasn't in the mix. They struck out on every big defensive lineman. They thought they were going to get in the portal and he's still in the mix in the spring. I'm sticking to it until I hear otherwise. (laughs) Just like styles in the slot. One of these things is happening. Yeah, I'm he- I'm hedging my bet a little on both of those. But uh, we will we'll have an opportunity on Saturday to see a full practice. We will be back on uh, Monday, April 2nd. It's going to be a, a Priester Tom Loy uh, do, uh, pairing in the, the, the uh, podcast on Monday. And we will uh, we'll be reporting from Notre Dame. We're told that the weather is going to be very bad in, in South Bend on Saturday. And that the entire practice is expected to be in the Irish Athletics Center complex. You know where the weather's not going to be bad on? I, I hear that Costa Rica is pretty good this time I, of year. I hear it's nice too. I won't be there on uh, on on Monday when we do the podcast, but uh, Tom Loy and I will be here, and Tim Tim uh, Tim O'Malley will be in warmer climes than than South Bend, Indiana. Until then, Tim Priester or Tim O'Malley. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000 year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman of course because over 250 years later the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.